Welcome to the Purpose Driven Executive Podcast, where we help you go from making your work your life to making your life work. We share true stories, interviews, and experiences that will help you, the hero, in your quest for passion and purpose. Higher purpose, higher productivity. This is the Purpose Driven Executive Podcast. What is up, purpose-driven executives of the world? How many of you have ever been in this place? You're trying to get somewhere. You've got a group of people going in that direction with you, or at least you're supposed to. It can sometimes feel like everyone's rowing against each other. They're, they're working against each other. They're pushing in different directions. And my gosh, it can feel like that vision of the mountain you're going to conquer, the place you're going to go, it can feel like that is so far away. If you have felt this, or if you're feeling that now, listen, you're not alone. That's just, sometimes it's, it's what happens um, when we are blessed with this, with this thing called leadership. So how do we get the, the boat going in, uh, in the right direction powerfully? How do we get everyone rowing to the same beat? How do we get the orchestra playing from the same sheet of music? Well, I'm glad you asked. That is why I brought in the expert, uh, John Stevens. Now, John is someone, I definitely want you to go check him out. Someone I, I met through uh, just the power of technology and, and connecting with different people and, and we have mutual friends and and we talked and man, there's just a lot of stuff we have in common. And this guy is one purpose-driven executive. And, and I can tell you this, <laughs> it is hard to be driven towards purpose if you've got a grease fire in your team. And um, John's the guy to help iron out a lot of those creases and wrinkles. John, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you very much, Johnny. Tell us, uh, okay, so first off, very interesting fact uh, about you and, and, uh, and, and where you live. Can you, um, can you share with the audience a little bit about that? Sure I can. Uh, Cabajate is a little town of about 10,000 people in northwest Argentina in the province of Salta, uh, fairly close to Bolivia and Chile about a thousand miles from Buenos Aires, and that's where I live. I discovered this place about uh, almost 10 years ago through a friend who is one of the developers of a project here, and uh, moved here three years ago after visiting many, many times, and I love it. I've been living here since the uh, middle, middle of 2016. Okay, that is going to beg for a few questions. For sure, we, uh, because a lot of times I'm sorry, you went kind of faint on me. I, I only, I'm not sure I got all that. My apologies. It looks like, uh, all right, there's a technical glitch there. So I'm just going to ask that question again. We'll go back in and, um, and uh, delete that. Okay, John. So that 
brings me to another question. Before we get into the meat of this stuff, man, the definition of a purpose-driven executive is a person who is not just making their work their life, but making their life work. And you decided, man, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to Argentina. Um, what possessed you to do that? And John, more importantly, how did you do that? Well, I first discovered this place in 2010 after uh, my, my friend who is one of the developers of this uh, project where I now live is uh, Doug Casey, who has traveled all over the world, lived in 10 countries and visited nearly every country in the world, if not every. And he decided about 15 years ago that Argentina is the best place in the world to live for a whole bunch of reasons. And he got a group of investors together and they bought 1,200 acres of land in, in uh, where I'm sitting right now in 2006, I think, and began development of it in 2007. I came down here in 2010, took a look at it, and by that time they had the lots lined out and, and so on, and I bought a lot. And then I visited a couple times a year through the rest of the 2010s. And in 2016, I, after, with quite a lot of experience here, I decided that this was a Okay, so um, John, if you're speaking, can, I can't hear you. virtually all of my possessions in the United States and just came down here with the clothes on my back and, and uh, uh, a little bit of electronic equipment so I could communicate with people and, uh, and moved into a, uh, I'm actually renting a small house, uh, casita as we call it in Spanish, uh, a guest house, which uh, is very, very comfortable for me. Amazing. And how did you, how, John, how did you, um, maybe you're independently wealthy, but, but I know that you're, um, you're still, um, you're still working. You're still doing things that are a benefit to others. Like how did you move your work with you? Is it just like anywhere there's an internet connection or? Well, that's really all I need. I, uh, and uh, just as I was making the decision to move down here, uh, having been a coach for the last six years, I learned about the uh, viability as a business of copywriting. And so I decided that that would fit my lifestyle better here. Nobody cares when or where I do it. And so I switched from business coaching to writing for business coaches. Uh -huh. I've, always loved to, I've always loved to write, so this, uh, th that fit right in very nicely. And, and uh, so that's what I'm here doing now. Okay. Okay. So, so John, tell me this, like, obviously communication is power, right? In the words that we choose versus <laughs> I think a lot of us are um, just very open lipped and sometimes our mouth is saying things that our brain didn't sign off on. And that's happening within, within companies, right? We have people that are communicating messages that uh, maybe aren't really on message, so to speak, with, with what they really want to communicate. John, 
tell me why executives like what, what where does copywriting come in for business leaders? I'm sorry, I, I missed about probably 30 seconds of that. Oh, okay. This is interesting. Okay. So, um, John, t tell us why copywriting is important for executives, for people in leadership, for people with businesses. Give me the breakdown of, of what you provide and, and why people need that. Well, in order for people to get business, they have to communicate, they have to, they have to find prospects and then they have to communicate with those prospects and build relationships with them. And, and in virtually every case, uh, that's done through language. Um, in, in some cases, it's more face-to-face. -face. Uh, a lot of it's on telephone and, and other electronic communications, but a lot of it's written communications. And uh, the written part is what I'm most uh, uh, associated with. And I, I've always loved to write and I, I find this to be a very uh, comfortable arrangement for me, but it, it's, it's how business people find and connect and build relationships with uh, the people they want to do business with. And then during the time they're doing business, they have to communicate. What do you want? What can I do for you? How can I do it best? All those sorts of things. Hey, thanks for being someone who is on this journey of purpose with me. And I am with you, my friend, and I've got something for you. Have you ever been moving towards purpose and sometimes it just looks like a big mess? Sure you have. We all have. And the reality is, is we're usually not going to get to a destination unless we have a roadmap. And that's exactly what I've created. If you will go to PurposeDrivenExecutive.com, you can get it for free. And this is the culmination of all of my studies, all of my coaching, all of even my own personal living. And I've created a very visual, very easy way for you to map out your purpose. This is for you. This is for people you're leading. This is for your family. Go on over right now, purposedrivenexecutive.com and get your free map of purpose. Mm. John, you worked in the one of the toughest industries in uh, with some of the toughest people uh, back in its heyday. And of course, I'm speaking about oil and gas, right? A lot wow. of crazy things happening there. Talk to us about um, maybe when you began to, I guess, get people on the same page with that communication, creating teamwork and getting people, uh, just stopping them from working against each other? Well, I discovered uh, probably sometime in the early 80s that uh, I, I observed that in virtually every organization, there is an enormous amount of time and energy and resources wasted by people working against each other. And I think initially I kind of fell into the thing because I, I saw that as a, as a, walk to progress in business and so I began kind of subconsciously I think to promote teamwork wherever I had influence and in two, 1991 I was working in the petroleum business in Indonesia I was assigned as um, operations manager for a good sized operation. We had 10 rigs running and producing, a, we were producing about 20% of Japan's gas. Hmm. 
and doing a lot of exploration besides. So we, uh, I had a, I had about 400 people in the drilling and production departments, and the the two managers of those departments, they were the largest departments reporting to me. The two managers were and completely different people. The the drilling manager was a gruff fifty-something-year-old Texan who really didn't communicate with skill. He he communicated effectively, but he didn't communicate with refinement. Uh, the production manager was a bright young Indonesian, uh, very bright, and uh, I noticed very quickly and as I began to sort out my responsibilities in that new position that the two departments, those two managers of course, and the two departments were not cooperating the way they needed to to make the operations efficient. And so I invited those two managers very early in my time there, probably within two or three weeks, into my office and said, uh, you guys both do great work and your operations are both vital to what we do, but what we do is put gas in the pipeline. <laughs> and in order for us to produce, to be the most efficient we can and the most effective we can, you two guys need to work together and cooperate with each other and have your departments cooperate with each other so that we can have uh, smoothly flowing field operations and, and produce the gas that we want to produce at the, at the uh, lowest cost. And so we're going to make that happen. And I started working with the, those two guys and the key people in their departments and uh, helping the helping them see each other's issues, helping them understand how to communicate better. And uh, it started to come around in about four or five, six months into this, I woke up one morning and I saw that things were coming in the right direction. And I said to myself, wow, this is, this is really my place in the business world. I mm. just love doing this and it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck when it happens. Mm-mm-mm. All right, John. So you, you, you got a couple of things going right there, man. Obviously, first off, that common ground and bringing people together. I want to hear more uh, about that and how we can, we can put that into, uh, into our work, right? Into our teams. But because a, a lot of us struggle with that. A lot of leaders struggle with exact, creating exactly what you're talking about. Um, but <laughs> the thing you just mentioned there at the end, doing the thing that makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Is that, is that, is that how you described it? Yes, it is. Well, once you found that, like, how did you do more of that? Like, how did you, like, did you make that your, your main pursuit or how did you give yourself more of that and maybe less of the other stuff? Well, I, I think everything that I had to do, I am not a, I'm not an expert in production operations nor in drilling. And we had some very challenging drilling situations. We were drilling fairly deep wells and high pressure and so on. So I, I had to depend on those guys and the, and the experts in their department to get the work done. So my job was to facilitate that, to, to make the teamwork happen. And I accomplished that. We, we, uh, uh, we had, I left uh, a couple of years later a, a very uh, uh, efficient, smooth flowing operation and we were increasing our production reducing our costs doing all the things that were uh, uh, desirable <clears throat> okay 
So, so um, John, take, take us, take us here, man. Um, let's just say you walked into a situation and maybe it is the team of someone I might know. So let's just say you walked into a scenario and you, um, you have a common goal. It, maybe that common goal is to, um, maybe you're serving people with, uh, maybe it's more, it's mortgage loans or maybe it's, life insurance or whatever it is, right? We have, we have this common goal that our team is set up to do, but we've got the wrong pieces in the wrong places. So um, people doing things are not maybe the best at, we've got some overlap, we've got some wasted material and maybe even some hurt feelings and some communication um, issues that normally go along with that. Like how would you take something like that and help them to get on the right path? Well, uh, odd you should ask because um, several years later in 19, uh, 2001, I um, started to work with, I'm also a pilot, and I started to work with uh, a company in New England, a small regional air freight company who did a lot of contract work for FedEx and UPS. And the pilots, uh, there were we had about 60 pilots, and in 2007, I, uh, having worked up through building relationships with the leaders of the company and so on, I was uh, offered the chief pilot's job. And when I took that job, we had uh, uh, many ground strike incidents. We had a lot of safety problems. We had a lot of uh, morale problems with the pilots. There was a uh, a nascent union movement forming, which would have destroyed the, our ability to operate very well. And in 2000, we had a, that, that union movement, by the way, was in the form of a website where people could go and complain. And then of course the, the union organizers were farming that material for uh, union negotiating fodder. And I took that job in July of 2007, and as I began to work around and build communication with the pilots and, and help them understand what needed to be done for us to produce the results we needed to produce, um, we, the morale improved. Uh, the, the communication, again, you, you mentioned communication. Uh, I found that my predecessor in that position had been very lax about uh, communicating with the pilots. He was, uh, uh, he, he didn't, sometimes didn't return messages or he didn't return them for a couple of weeks and, and things of that sort. And, and the, it, it gave the pilots a sense that they had no voice in what was going on. <clears throat> well, I gave them a voice. I, I made sure that I stayed in communication with them I return messages hopefully within an hour, usually almost always within a day. And I worked, I, I found, I, I worked to find some reason to communicate something positive to an individual pilot at least once a day. Hmm. And uh, so the pilots all of a sudden began to understand that they had, uh, they had a stake in things. They had uh, they had a voice, and that website that I mentioned 
from July to December disappeared. Hmm. Wow. You know, John, my, my, my takeaway on that is um, really we're talking about something that allows us to be synchronized, right, with, with our team. And um, the reality is, is that when, when we look for a tribe, we want people who think the same, believe the same, are on the same mission. And when there is no communication, we don't, like, we're, we're in the dark. There's no real evidence of those things that, uh, that we're looking for. We don't really see that happening. And so if that's the, if that's the case, it does become our job to um, continuously communicate, continuously communicate. I love that you actually took the, the delays and you, and you destroyed that. And, um, and it's interesting what happens, the people felt heard. And when people feel heard, it is, it's one of the number one ways of driving up employee satisfaction. So a lot of us concentrate on customer satisfaction, but John, what you did was you were working on really something I think is more important, which is employee satisfaction and connection to the mission. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> as, I, as I moved into coaching after I retired from that uh, pilot operation in 2010, as I moved into coaching, that's the, the my focus was uh, as a matter of fact, I used a, uh, a little acronym called P3B, which was Purpose, Productivity, and Profit in Business. Mm, and, talk to us about P3B. Okay, so the, the, uh, the implementation of that was that, we, that in, in any organization that I work with, I work with the leaders of the organization to develop <clears throat> a meaningful easy to understand mission statement, and then communicate that to all the people who needed to know it, which would be primarily employees, customers, uh, suppliers, and, uh, but most importantly, as you say, employees. And then to be sure that each employee understands the importance of his or her work in support of that mission and that the job descriptions get adjusted if necessary so that uh, <clears throat> so that it it uh, causes people to cause everybody in the organization to support the mission and mm. that's how you get things done mm, mm, mm. Uh, that was the in in the case of the uh, petroleum operations putting gas in the pipeline was a was a major mission in the case of uh, of the pilots it was delivering uh, trouble-free service to our main customer. FedEx was our, by far our main customer. <laughs> and uh, so that's what I help people understand is, is how, to, how to develop uh, a mission statement that, that's meaningful and easy to understand, and then to get everybody on board to work toward it. Awesome. John, tell me this, man, we all have moments where we get to learn instead of looking like the hero. What was your most difficult, maybe confusing or trying time as a leader and how'd you, uh, how'd you get through it? Well, there were probably two of them, but I think the most difficult was the uh, morale problem that I faced with the pilots. I 
wasn't absolutely sure what I was going to do about that. I knew that the I knew that morale was was a major major issue, and I wasn't uh, I wasn't completely sure how I was going to to rebuild the morale that needed to be there. And as it worked out, uh, I I after I mulled that over for a little bit, I. I said, well, I found that communication said to myself that, well, communication seems to be central to uh, people working together. And that's, uh, that's where I focused and it worked. Love it. Love it. John, talk to us a little bit about authenticity and humility. I, I know that, um, you know, typically, especially when you're talking about like that, that tough Texas oil, you know, oil driller, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's that, that, that can sometimes um, be pervasive in, in a company. It can be blanketing. And it, and it feels like that in terms of at least domestically in, in the U.S., a company is removing more towards leaders who display the qualities of humility and authenticity. What, what, have, what have you seen or maybe... I don't know how, how have you seen people lead effectively with these? Well, one of the, uh, I write a newsletter every week and I, I'm always looking for material to put in a newsletter. And I discovered a guy by the name of, uh, Ben O'Dor recently, who is the CEO of Clorox company. And one of his mantras is that the best ideas come from the lunchroom rather than from the boardroom. Hmm. And, he, I, I, I did some research on that and how he operates. And it's, it, he, nobody knows who Ben, ben O'Dorr is. Do you know who Ben O'Dorr is? Never heard of him. Not until now. Well, I, I don't think probably, probably 90% of us who have no connection with Clorox don't know who, who he is. And he doesn't, he doesn't make a big splash. He's not a, he's not a, a Donald Trump or a, or a, any of the other big players that you hear about that have been heads of companies, but he just quietly goes about his business and he listens to what people tell him. And he, uh, he's, he's made a very successful operation. I think he's been in that position for something around 20 years. <clears throat> and so I think that's a, that's a perfect example of a, a company leader who, uh, is almost invisible himself, but he gets things done. Mm. And that's that's what that's what humility and authenticity are all about. Mm. Mm. Talk to us a little bit about some of the systems where where you've seen, like obviously there's the, having the right personnel and the right people in the right places. But what systems have you seen that have um, maybe pulled the jumble out of the train and got all the cars back on the track? Any magic that you've seen out there in that world of the world of systems or technology or, or doing things in a way that takes away from the necessity of having to man something? Well, I, I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the most important system that I've seen is really communication. Mm. I, I'm not a big technology guy. Um, I'm sure there are systems out there that, uh, that can assist with that and, and uh, enhance it. But I found that just good old communicate, good old uh, 
get people on the phone, get in front of their face and talk to them and, and listen to what they have to say. Ask them questions, listen to them. And I, I'm not big on organized systems because I think everybody's an individual and every relationship between two people is an individual relationship. And I, uh, I haven't found a good way to catalog that in a, in a way that's useful to me. Mm. Mm. How, you, you spoke a little bit about um, bringing people on track with a, with a company goal. How, how, does, how does John Stevens go about getting them to own that as, like, right, as their own and not just from some outside source? Communication with, as, as when I'm in the leadership position, then I, I work with <clears throat> the leaders who report directly to me and work with them on the, on the communication that they have with the people that work for them. And the, it really is about uh, focusing on what the, the main mission of, of any particular operation, what, what are we here to do? And <clears throat> a matter of fact, I'm uh, working on a book now and the, the title of the book, I'm not sure exactly what it's gonna be, but right now I have the title of the book as, Why Are We Here? Hmm. <clears throat> and I think when, and one of the things that I've found is that if you ask that question of, 15 people in your organization and you get back similar answers from each of them, you probably have a pretty good organization that understands and cooperates and communicates pretty well. But if you get 15 different answers from the people you ask about that, you've got some work to do. And, and, uh, and I think that's a, that's one of the best tests is to just ask a simple question like that and see what you get. John, that is gold, my man. Um, actually, I was working with someone a little bit earlier, and it was it was the same scenario. Um, they essentially um, had built a team of um, basically of, of of below average players. You know, they have some above average people. You know, but they they also had some people, and they were just kind of let's just say their doors were wide open, right, for whosoever would join and. And um, in, in one of those early things, and, and I think it's important for any team and any human really to define is to go back and say, guys, why are we here? Right? We can show up at a variety of places. I know like if the reason you're here is because you're addicted to paying your bills, <laughs> right? And eating and, <laughs> and those things, that's great. But that's like, you could do that in so many different ways in so many different places. So the question is, is why are we here? What do we do that's different? What do we believe that's different about how we do business, how we operate, what we provide? Why, like, why, what drew you here? What draws us here? Mm -hmm. And unifying people behind that. I, I believe, um, you know, the, the, the way that we coined it today was, you know, you're able to almost um, call out the rebellion, right? You are, you're polarizing people to what they believe. And when mm -hmm. people can cling to something that they together agree with, again, it's almost like getting that, the, you get all the rowers, at least facing the same direction. Now you can call out the timing and strategy and, 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 and all the, you can call, you can pull out your playbook and do those things. But until people agree on the why, 
it's almost impossible to get solid, consistent, positive forward movement. So that is, exactly. uh, that's strong. Why are we here? We will be on the lookout for that. Um, John, what, what book would you say that you have read or are reading that you would say, boy, leaders really, they really need to be reading this? Whoops, did I lose you? John, you there? Um, I am now, but I, you, I, I missed about 15 or 20 seconds of what you just said. Okay. You just started to ask me about the book. About yep, yep. John, I'll just, I'll just jump in there. John, what book recommendations do you have for people who are, um, maybe they've been leading, but maybe things have been off track, or maybe they're just not, they're not connected with their purpose in what they're doing. Um, so other than your book that's, that's to be coming soon, what would you recommend? I think two of the books that, <clears throat> that have had the biggest impact for me are Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich and James Allen's What a Man Thinketh. Mm. And, and they're, they're both, uh, they both uh, you, you may be familiar with them. They, Think and Grow Rich, both, yes, I've never heard of What a Man Thinketh, but I'm writing that one down right now. Yeah, it's, uh, it was published over 100 years ago. It was written in the early 1900s, but it's, uh, and the, the style makes it a little odd to read for us now because the language is different, but the, it's a short, for me as a slow reader, it only took me three or four hours to read it. And uh, it is a, a wonderful examination of how one's thought, thought processes shape his or her activities, life, business, performance, all those things. And it's a, it's a great work and it's still uh, more than a hundred years later, it still is one of the uh, uh, well thought of books on uh, on the, the importance of the mind and the mental processes in one's performance. Mm, love it. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm going to check into that. That's, that's interesting. Anything that can hold up for 100 years and still be relevant uh, is worth a look-see. A um, right. <clears throat> couple more questions, man. We are rounding third, and, and uh, man, we're, we're bringing it home. Um, John, what is the best advice you have ever received? Listen, 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 listen. And of course, learn from mistakes. Uh, but if you, those who think they have all the answers and don't want to listen to other people, don't get far. Mm. They, may think that, they may think they do, but uh, listening to other people, and that's, I think, the example that I gave you a few minutes ago of Ben O'Dor, is, is a great example of that. It's just, it's so, so important to listen to other people and learn from them and communicate with them. And, and uh, there's no, no substitute for that. Absolutely no substitute for listening. That is like, oh man, that is, uh, that is so true. John, final, um, we'll, we, we've got two questions. The, this one is this, um, Pull this from 
a John Maxwell book here. Who do you know that I should know? Well, I just listened to a, uh, these are not not people that I, uh, that I'm closely associated with, but they're people that I admire. And I don't honestly remember this guy's name, but he is, uh, he is the CEO of uh, the Container Company. Rubbermaid? No, the Container Company. That's the name oh, of the, the company. Oh, con- okay. It's the Container Company. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, did a, <clears throat> he did a great uh, examination of, in this short video that I... Buyers, their customers, their uh, distributors, and they, uh, they're they a small company in their business, but they have been able to uh, commandeer a niche of producing content- specialized containers for people at a very reasonable price so that um, they're, they're helping their customers their employees understand all of that and they're on board with it. And uh, the company is uh, owned by the employees, which I think is a great, that, that, that's, that says a lot right there. If, if you, uh, a company that is owned by the employees is, is almost surely better focused than one that's owned by stockholders from outside. Love it. I can, I can look up that guy's name and, and, uh, and send it to you. Is it Kip Tyndall? I think that might be right. Okay. So um, final, final question. Actually, I'm just kind of, I'm going to give you a chance to uh, just share any, any final thoughts. And really I'm, I'm seeing someone, um, John, who maybe just doesn't have the plug put in the right socket, right? They've got two people or two groups, maybe in the same company disjointed and, and not communicating. And if there's something, some sort of encouragement you can give to that leader who's in charge of that, and um, if you could jump from there into telling us how we can reach out and connect with you, that would be awesome. And then we will say goodbye. All right. Um, I would say that if you've got two people that are having each of them and find out what they, how they see their uh, activities and, and, uh, uh, focus working uh, working toward the company mission and if they don't see that then you got some training to do but I it's um, I think getting the two of them together and uh, asking those kinds of questions to each of them in the presence of the other will generate a great amount of understanding of, of what's going on and why they don't appear to be on the same sheet of music. And uh, then of course you continue to work with them, help them see each other's issues, help them, uh, help them understand that in order for an organization to work, uh, all of the key players, well, all of the players really have to be uh, on board and understanding the, the, the purpose of the organization and uh, What's important to what's important to us? Why are we here? Love it. And John, how can we how can we get in touch with you? Tell us where we can find you. And if someone 
says, man, this is, this is a guy that I resonate with and, and uh, love to hear about what he's doing with uh, whether it's copy, copywriting or helping um, coaches and people of that nature uh, get more attention, get more clients. Um, how can people find you? Well, look me up on LinkedIn, John Stevens. Uh, my email address is john at unitycopywriting.com. And that's copywriting with a W-R, not R-I-G-H. Awesome. And my phone, my phone number is 814-590-3854. Love it. John Stevens, thank you for being here with us today on the Purpose Driven Executive Podcast. Well, I'm, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I love talking about this stuff. I could go on and on and on. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Thanks so much.